Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne this morning. Our Lord is your people who have been saved by Christ, who are being saved, your people whom you have chosen before the foundation of the world, that you may make them holy and blameless before you because of the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, we come to honor you because you are worthy of all honor. We come to worship you because you alone are worthy of worship. We pray and thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Our Lord, we praise you for the wisdom of the gospel, which is foolishness to the world. And by it, you are saving and calling your people to yourself. And Lord, we thank you for this blessed hope, this eternal hope, this imperishable hope. And we now ask, Lord, that you would preach to us through your word, that you would teach us and draw us even closer to your son through what we are going to learn. Our Lord, we ask for your blessing. We ask for ears that we may hear what says the Spirit. We pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are in the book of John, and we are in John chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. John chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. And we have in here the first Passover, the record of the first Passover when the Lord had began his ministry. This was just a few days after the Lord had begun his ministry, after he had just called his first disciples. And he goes into the temple, and it's recorded for us by the apostle that he cleansed the temple of those who were transacting business, making the house of the Lord a place of business. So let's go to the text and hear what Apostle John recorded for us. Verse 13 to 25. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a cage of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews then said to him, What sign do you show? What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, 
and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. For us to develop more understanding on what's going on in this part of the scriptures, we need to go to Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 42. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 and 42 reads, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. What we learn from this record by Luke is that Jesus' parents were devout Jews who went to Jerusalem every year to observe the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover was an annual feast that all Jews had to observe according to what the Lord had commanded them in Exodus 12 and 13. And this feast was accompanied by and was also immediately followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And these two feasts were the first feasts that the Lord instituted for the nation of Israel to observe and collectively were to be observed at the appointed times. And the Hebrew word for feast means appointed time or place or meeting. The appointed times were given so that God's people would set aside all their activities and stuff of life to come and meet with their God in the place that he had appointed and at the time that he had appointed. So that is the meaning of feast. That's the biblical understanding of feast. It means an appointed time and place. So in Leviticus 23, we have an enumeration of the various feasts that God commanded Israel to observe. To observe as a nation, to observe as God's people, because these feasts were not given to the surrounding pagan nations. These feasts were only given to God's people to observe them. And if you go and read in Leviticus 23, you are going to find these feasts as the ones that the Lord appointed for Israel to observe. There was the Feast of Passover and the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of first fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, 
and the feast of booths or tabernacles. If we have to get more understanding on the feast of the Passover, you go and read Exodus 12 and 13. You have more detailed instructions on the feast of the Passover. And for the Day of Atonement, we have more detailed instructions in Leviticus chapter 16. But we won't be going there for the details. We shall go there in the appointed time when we shall teach more on the feast. But let us hear from Leviticus 23, 1 to 8, because we are trying to build the understanding of what is happening when the Lord begins his work, his ministry. Because when the Lord comes, he is doing his ministry in the context of the Old Testament. He is not just showing up. He is showing up to fulfill the things that God had already talked about in the Old Testament. Because when he speaks in the Old Testament, God says to the children of Israel, These are my feasts. These are the Lord's feasts. And when the Lord Jesus Christ shows up, he is coming with that in mind. He is coming to fulfill those feasts. But let's go to Leviticus 23 and read just part verses 1 to 8. Leviticus 23, 1 to 8. And this is what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread on the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. So what, we, what do we see? There were also three feasts that the Lord commanded that all the male, males of Israel were to show up in Jerusalem before him. So from among these feasts, there were three feasts that the Lord appointed that all males from Israel had to be present. And in Deuteronomy 16.16, 16, this is what the Lord commanded. He says, Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. At the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and at the feast of tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So, 
This is the background now that we have to ride on to understand what is happening and why the Lord Jesus Christ has to be there at the feast. This is one of those feasts that he is required as a Jew to attend. At age 12, the Lord became eligible to be among all the males of Israel that appeared before the Lord three times a year. It seems from Luke's account that Mary and Joseph were really devout people and they did not just observe the feast of the Passover, but they observed all the other feasts that the Lord had commanded Israel. And we are told that the Lord and his parents, from the account of Luke, were gone to the feast of the Passover. But the feast of the Passover was just one day. But immediately on the following day was the feast of unleavened bread. So these feasts became like one feast. So you just didn't go for one feast and come back the following day. You went for the feast of Passover and then for the next seven days, you still had to observe the feast of unleavened bread. So they were gone for at least eight days. And when you read the New Testament, it, it actually ends up combining the feast of the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread as one feast. Like in Luke chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. So over time, the distinction between the Passover and the unleavened bread was removed so much that they were considered as one feast. And we see that also in John 19:14 and in Acts 12 verses 3 to 4. But let's go back to Luke again to gain more understanding of this. In Luke 2 verses 43 to 47, it says, when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now so... Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So what we have here is, from the account of Luke, it seems like the Lord Jesus Christ first went to Jerusalem to attend the feast of the Passover at age 12. And when he did... He did not cause any trouble. When the Lord Jesus Christ went to the first Passover at age 12, he did not cause any trouble. At least he was involved in discussion and answering questions and asking a lot of questions. But there was never 
any trouble to the point that the Jews at this time would have sought to get rid of him. He was only reasoning with the religious powers and authorities of the day. And we are told by Luke that they were amazed by his understanding and answers. But nothing bad happened. But when we come to the book of John, John records for us three Passovers that the Lord participated in since the beginning of his ministry. And that is what gives us an idea of how long the ministry of the Lord was. Because a Passover was an annual celebration. So if he attended three Passovers, it means his ministry was only three years long because he died on Passover day. And we know that the Lord began his ministry when he was 30 years old. So he only was doing his ministry for three years and he died when he was about 33 years old. That's when they put him on the cross. So in John 2, John 6, John 11 to 12, we are told about the Passover being near. And the account of the Passover in John 11 to 12 is the same account that is in John 13. It's a continuation of the same narrative of the account story that John had began in chapter 11. The feast of the Passover was, as you know, instituted by God himself in Exodus. When he delivered his people, the children of Israel, from Egyptian slavery by the blood or death of a sacrifice. That is very important for us to know because if we forget that, we won't understand what is happening in the book of John. We won't understand what John is trying to have us see as he gives a narration of these events. When you look back to the story of the Passover in Egypt and what happened, we see that salvation came to those who were in bondage through the death of a substitute, through the death of a sacrifice. And this sacrifice was the one that God had appointed to be offered. And we know that it was through the death of a lamb. Moses did not just go and part the Red Sea for them. The Red Sea was only parted in the context of their having had a sacrifice and with the instructions given that all the children of Israel were to put the blood of the sacrifice on their doors. And the Lord then commanded that this feast or this ordinance was to be a permanent statute. It was to be observed in all time by the children of Israel. And with that background, we go back to the story of John and go back even to John chapter 1 because John is developing this idea because in the mind of John, he wants you to see the Passover lamb that is in Christ Jesus. In John 1.29, John has told us that Jesus is the lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. So he continues to build his witness of Jesus, but immediately introduces us to the expectation or idea that something has to happen to Jesus or Jesus is going to do something big. When Jesus spoke to, he said to him, if you believe that I am he from what I've just said about you, you are going to see greater things than these. So John begins to set the stage for us with the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The miracle at at Cana of Galilee explains and confirms to his disciples that he is the Messiah, but Jesus introduces the idea of his time, that is his hour, that it is not yet, but it is sure to come. So his disciples recognize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, but there's more to this office than him being king of Israel and removing all of their enemies. John wants us to know, or the Lord wants us to know, that his messiahship was not necessarily about removing kingdoms of the world, not at this time, but rather it was removing sin and death and the power of the evil one. And this has to happen in the context of death. He is the Messiah because he is dying. His work of salvation is not in bringing big guns against the enemies of his people. But he is coming as the one who dies that they may be redeemed from slavery of sin. So that's the idea, and that's what John is building for us. And that's why Jesus will say, my hour is not yet. What hour? The hour that I should die, that the sins of my people may be removed. And once I die, then the Red Sea is about to be parted. The Red Sea cannot be parted before the sacrifice dies. So the parting of the Red Sea is salvation. And he's saying, without me dying, there cannot be salvation. So when Jesus talks about his hour not yet come, he is teaching us that he is working on a schedule. Jesus is working on a schedule. He knows that in three years' time, he has to be put on the cross. He knows exactly the time. He knows the hour. And he knows by whose hands he has to be put on the cross. So we have to read this in this narrative because John is already developing it for us. So the idea of the hour is not come is giving us a background that there's actually an hour that is coming. But if this hour has to come, it requires the participation of the Jews. It requires the Jews to be angry and mad at him. Otherwise, they cannot put him on the cross. The Jews have to be mad at Jesus. If the Jews cannot get mad at Jesus... They cannot bring him before the Pharisees and the high priests as to try him. They can't drag him before the religious authorities. They can't bring him before Pilate. And they can't charge him with blasphemy. And so the seed, as it were, of this has already been sown. It has to be sown. And the stage has to be set. 
for the hostilities to increase between Jesus and the Jews. And as you read the book of John, you see that right from this chapter, the hostilities between Jesus and the Jews just continues to rise and rise and rise and rise until they put him on the cross. In John 1, 29 and 36, John has told us that this one who is among them is the Lamb of God. And in just this chapter, John the Apostle has told us two times that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And if he is the Lamb of God, the Lamb has a purpose. The Lamb has a purpose. The Lamb is not a pet. It's not a pet to play with. The Lamb has a purpose to die. And so he links the Lamb with the Passover. So John is building a connection and very quickly that the Passover of the Jews was near and the Lord Jesus Christ was in, in attendance. The Lord is in attendance not just to observe the feast as it were, but because he is the Passover lamb. This is the purpose for which he came. He came to be the Passover lamb. He is the one who was foreshadowed by this feast. So John is again building associations for us between Jesus and the Passover lamb and is dropping breadcrumbs as it were that we may follow them right to the cross. And as you read the book of John, you see that with, with, with every Passover that he was involved in, there was always trouble. With every Passover that is recorded by John, there was always trouble. The Jews wanted to kill him. And we also see him getting in trouble for doing work, healing people on the Sabbath day. Why? Because the Sabbath was made for man by him. Is Jesus Sabbath? He is the one who instituted the Sabbath. And the work that he has come to do is a work that gives man rest. And yet the Jews did not understand it. So you see again Jesus getting in trouble for doing what he had instituted to do in the Old Testament. So in John 5.1, we hear that the Lord was in Jerusalem and there was trouble again. He had healed a man on a Sabbath who had an infirmity for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda. He had healed a man who had an infirmity for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda. <laughs> That's a tongue twister. <laughs> but there was trouble. Every time that the Lord was doing these things, there was always trouble. And John tells us in John 5, 16 to 18, he says, commenting on this story in John 5, he says, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working 
Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus is saying these things. Jesus is telling them the truth about himself, but the Jews get mad because they didn't realize that the Sabbath and all these things were all about Jesus. In chapter 6, verse 4, we have another record of Jesus. We are told that there was another Passover that was near, and there was trouble also. The conversation goes and spills into John chapter 7, and we hear in John chapter 7, verse 1, uh, it says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Yes, they were determined to kill the Lord, but they could not lay their hands on him because his hour had not yet come. The Lord was sovereign over when the Jews would be able to lay their hands on him. They could not just show up and lay their hands on him because he is God. And if anything Whatever happened to him happened by him allowing them to do it. He submitted to them. And that's why he would say to Pilate, you have no power over me unless it was given you from above. There's no sinner who has power over Jesus. I'm just making the connection that every time the Lord attended the Passover, there was always commotion. And it was purposeful commotion from the end of the Lord. The Jews just were blinded by their anger and hatred of him. But from the Lord's angle, he purposed it that way that he may be put on the cross. So in John eleven fifty five to 57, we hear this. And the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. So they had already issued a command that if anybody would see Jesus, they should do a citizen's arrest on him and bring him to the religious authorities that they may prosecute him. So in John 2, we are seeing the beginning of this schedule, the outworking of this schedule as we get ready for the hour. The Lamb of God has to be put on the altar if it has to remove sin. He has to die. A lamb that does not die cannot remove sin. So then back to our verses that we are looking at this morning. We'll go back to John 2 verses 13 to 16 where John says again, the Passover of the Jews was near. So already once you hear that, then immediately know that there's trouble. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves 
and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out their coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. So when the Lord went to Jerusalem, he saw those who were selling oxen, sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables in the temple. And this caused a lot of problems. This is not the first time that the Lord has been going to the temple. The Lord has been going to the temple for a long time now. Remember, Luke told us that at age 12, Jesus was already going to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And this is almost 18 years later that the Lord shows up again at the temple at age 30 and he begins to cause trouble. Trouble has to begin because he has to get the ball rolling because the stage for his work has been set. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have for us that there were two cleansings, temple cleansings that happened. And the other one happened at the very end of the ministry. John records the one that happened at the beginning of the ministry. So if you read Matthew 21, verses 12 and 13, Mark 11, 15 and 16, Luke 19, 45 and 46, you learn of the second temple cleansing. But this is what is happening in the temple in this hour. For you to understand what is happening, you have to know that there were people who were traveling out of Jerusalem to come to Jerusalem where the temple was that they may observe the feast of the Passover. So there were pilgrims coming from afar for the Passover feast. And it was difficult or inconvenient for them to bring their own animal sacrifices. So you can imagine people traveling long distances with their oxen and sheep and bringing them a sacrifice. So what happened? Some people, some entrepreneurs, reasoned that they could start business of bringing sacrifices for sale in the temple. And this seemed to be a very convenient and good idea, but not for very long. The sacrifices that they were bringing were not good sacrifices. The idea itself was not bad. If they could bring the sacrifices that were according to God's commandment, as far as the quality and the nature, then there would be no problem with the Lord. But the problem was, just as with many business people, they were bringing very bad sacrifices and charging them for a lot of money. And this is what Malachi 1.8 says. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. 
So what is happening in the temple is that these people are starting to bring sick and diseased animals to be offered as sacrifices to the Lord. And that's where you start having issues. And people are making money. We also see that not only were there those who saw the sacrifices, there were the money changers. The money changers were people who were engaged in exchanging money for those who had to pay the temple tax. When you came to Jerusalem for worship, you had to pay the temple tax. And it had to be paid in a particular denomination of money. And it was the Tyrian shekels or coins from Tyre. Tyre is a city that is in Lebanon, in the present day Lebanon. I believe it should be the fourth largest city in Lebanon. It's right by the sea. So the Tyrian shekel was the official or medium of payment that was allowed to pay for the temple tax. So these guys are in there with their money exchange berus, as it were, and exchanging money. But they were not exchanging the money for free. They were making a lot of money. They had a big cut, big commissions for the exchanges to be done. So they are right there in the temple. So it's a commotion in the temple, money changes, and those selling animals. The animals are making noise. There's a lot of dung, a lot of everything happening there in the temple. And the situation is not looking good. So that's the background of what is happening there when the Lord shows up. But there's a theological problem. If this was just a marketplace, that would not be a problem. The problem is, it's a theological problem given who Jesus is and given what a temple was supposed to do. Because the temple pretty much is an extension of the tabernacle. The tabernacle. And the tabernacle was given to Israel by the Lord as a type and shadow of the heavenly tabernacle. So everything that the temple is representing is representing the heavenly tabernacle and is representing Jesus Christ himself. So the Jews were offering poor sacrifices that had blemishes to the Lord. The sacrifices typified the Lord Jesus Christ and the Jews by offering these kind of lame and sick animals were breaking the Lord's commandment that all sacrifices that were to be brought before him were to be without spot or blemish. And the temple was a place of worship. The temple was a place where God and his people were supposed to meet. Even more, in Jesus, God has tabernacled among men. And Jesus is the new meeting place between God and man. And these people are defiling the place where Jesus, where God and man meet. And yet we know that Jesus Christ was not defiled. So if Jesus Christ is the temple of God, he cannot be defiled. Jesus is free from sin. He is holy. He's set apart from sinners. 
And yet the people are coming to a place that typifies who Jesus is and they bring and do all these sinful things. That's where the problem is. And this is why Jesus is so irate. He's so not happy. Jesus cannot allow people to desecrate the worship of God in his father's temple. And as I said also, whatever the tabernacle represented, it, it was a type of the work that Jesus Christ was going to do. So if you're talking about the altar, the bread, the high priest, the holy of holies, the mercy seat, the sacrifices themselves, he is the sacrifice. He is all these things. He is the bread from heaven. And if the sacrifice that he is is perfect, how then can these people allow for the corruption of the true religion of God and allow people to bring these diseased sacrifices? So you see, this is what is getting Jesus worked up. Verse 14, he says, And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. So the money changers are not standing. The money changers are not standing. They actually are seated 